Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I want to continue uh, this mini-series that we've been in on the story of the prodigal son, and, and I've entitled this Lost and Found, Lost and Found. And today, I want to look at the character of the elder brother. Last week, we read the story of the prodigal son, and it's an amazing story. Whenever you think of the story of the prodigal son, of course, you think about the two main characters, the, the wayward son and the, the heavenly father. And, and it, it, it's just, it's so powerful that God shows himself as a loving father to someone so undeserving. There are, are few pictures uh, in all of history as beautiful as the picture of the father receiving his son. But you know, the story doesn't end there. The story goes on. And it, even where we ended last week, it's powerful, and it, it's, it's awesome, but it's just act one. The story continues on, and God shows the reactions of other characters, specifically the character of the elder brother. And today I want to read the story from that perspective. We're going to set it up in the book of Luke chapter 15. Verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, who's Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So in response, Jesus tells them three parables. This is the third. In verse 11, it says, There was a man that had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. Let's go to the next verse in verse 15. It says this, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the elder brother, the Bible says, he was angry and he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. And, and, and uh, verse 29 says this, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you won't call him his brother. You won't even say your son. See what he's doing? He's removing himself from the equation, depersonalizing his brother. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Today, I want to speak to you and warn you of the symptoms of the elder brother syndrome. Focus on this character who's many times misunderstood, 
often ignored. And I want to show you how we may be the prodigal son, but we also can be the elder brother. And I want to speak to you today on how thankfulness is the antidote to self-righteousness. Thankfulness is the antidote to self-righteousness because you can be a son, but still slip into self-righteousness. You can be a son, but still separate yourself from the home and the father. But thankfulness is the antidote to self-righteousness. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now. Will you come and will you speak and will you be with us, your people? We love you, God. We're so thankful for you. And I pray even as I speak, I pray that your word comes in right to our hearts and our minds and brings change. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen. There's an amazing story that happened recently in the world of art. There, it was a painting that was sold at an estate sale that was bought by some sharp-eyed art critics because they, they saw that there was maybe some beauty behind it. This painting was called the Salvatore Mundi. I don't know if you've heard this. This painting, they suspected, was painted by the master himself, by Leonardo da Vinci. When they got this painting, it didn't look like this. It was absolutely catastrophically broken. There were, there were lines and overpainting and it broke into seven pieces and it, it looked like a wreck and yet these people that had a sharp eye could see that underneath all of the grime and the dirt and the poor choices of restorers throughout the years that there was beauty and value underneath. So they took this painting, they brought it to one of the preeminent restorers, and over the course of years, this restorer stripped away the dirt and the, and the dust and the, the grime and, and the, the poor painting choices that were painted over and over this masterpiece. And slowly, what emerged was a thing of beauty. And through the process, they came to a consensus, the restorers and those who bought it, that this just might be a painting by Leonardo. When the restoration process was complete, they brought it out to be recognized at the National Gallery of, in London. They brought all of the greatest da Vinci experts from all over the world to come and see if there could be a consensus. And one by one, when they walked into the room, they were struck by the painting and, and they examined it closely from what they know of da Vinci and his drawings and how he prepared. And they knew that he had painted a figure of Christ and it looked like all these things had begun to line up. And sure enough, the experts, one by one, said, this is a da Vinci. Well, eventually, this painting was sold at auction for $400 million. It is the most expensive painting ever sold in the history of art. Salvatore Mundi by Leonardo da Vinci. Amazing, found in an estate sale, sold at auction for how many million times more the price? I don't know about you, but I'm going to start going to some estate sales. <laughs> and uh, what was interesting is after this was, was sold, there was great controversy. Now, lots of other people, uh, they came out of the woodwork, and, and instead of celebrating it, and, and, and many, many celebrated it throughout the world, but instead of celebrating it, these people found flaws and, and, and found, found things that they thought was wrong with it or, or, or uh, even disputed that it was ever painted by Leonardo at all. Because, of course, with that amount of money, of course, there's going to be controversy. 
And there was great controversy and still is this raging debate. And you have people on both sides. And, and though the majority say this is absolutely by Leonardo, there are still critics and dissenters that say absolutely not. You know, the story of the prodigal son, we find this young man in a state much, much like this painting. Though he was a masterpiece, though he was valued, though he was designed by the creator, loved by the father, this young man was lost and lost track of. The Bible says he went to a far off land in another country and, and over the process of time, through foolish decisions, he got layers and layers of grime and dirt and sin and mistakes on him until eventually he was far away from what he once was. He, he looked as if he had absolutely no value at all. In fact, the young man thinks about this way, thinks this way about himself. He, he no longer even sees himself as son. He says, I'll go home and I'll just be a servant. I'm not what I once was. But you know the story? The young man comes home, but the father recognizes his son. He sees through the dirt and through the grime, through the layers, through the disgusting things, through the foolishness, and he sees the masterpiece. But more than that, the father begins the restoration process. He puts a robe over his son puts a ring on his finger. He embraces him as his own, puts sandals on his feet, and instead of calling him servant, he announces, my son. He kills the fatted calf, and instead of even keeping the celebration personal and to himself, he wants everyone in the world to enjoy it. And there's a celebration. The whole city, the whole town comes to the father's house to rejoice in this fine, to celebrate the value of the son that has come home. But make no mistake, this is controversial. With a love this extravagant, of course it's controversial. Some, we find now, have a dissenting opinion. Here we find the voice of the critic. Not everybody's happy. Not everybody's in agreement. Here we find the older brother. The older brother is the son of self-righteousness. He's the voice of the critic. I like to call him the bitter older brother. And the older brother is frustrated by what he finds happening when he returns home. Because, you see, the older brother was in the field while all of this was going down. Don't you think it's interesting that both sons were in the field, but one was in the field in a far-off land serving a harsh taskmaster. The other was in the field of the father. And the reality is you are going to serve someone. And you are going to serve somewhere. The question is, who are you going to serve and where are you going to serve? The older brother was serving a, a good father. And he comes in from the field. Well, that's the right place to be. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. Don't pray for the harvest. Pray for the workers. There needs to be people in the field. And, and, and so this would be someone that knows his duty. This would be someone that's at work. This is someone in the A-team. This is someone that's a crew leader. This is someone that's active in the community. This is someone that's serving God. Serving God so much, he, he misses all of, the, all of the happenstance. And as he comes in from the field, the Bible says that he sees into the home and he hears music and he sees dancing. That's why I love worship like we had this Sunday. That should be what's happening in the house of the Father. He's confused by what's going on, so he calls another servant and says, what's going on? What did I miss? And the servant says, don't you know? Your brother's back. Your father's accepted him. He's killed the fatted calf, which would have been something you only do once or twice in your whole lifetime for the most important moment of your life. And, 
And, and he said, this is the moment of your father's greatest joy. And the older brother, instead of going in and joining the festivities and the celebration, he chooses to stay outside of the house. He refuses to join the party. He refuses to celebrate. The point is this. A self-righteous spirit will always cause you to isolate and will never let you celebrate. I'm telling you this so you can self-diagnose right now. Because I know who I'm speaking to today. You're here the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You're a Christian. You're the real ones you're here today. I applaud you. But can I tell you many times what we will get caught up in is becoming the older brother. No, no, no amens, no cheers on that. But it's true. I mean, we come in as the wayward son. But the problem is the longer you serve, the longer you're in the field, the longer you're doing the right things the right way, if you're not careful, a spirit of self-righteousness can come over you. Can come over your mind, can come over your heart, and it hardens your heart, and, and it makes you withholding. And the spirit of self righteousness, this is what it always does. This is the pattern. The first thing it does is it makes you withdraw. You say, Do I have this spirit on me? Are you moving away from people? Are you moving away from celebration? Are you moving away from a spirit of thankfulness? Are you moving away from the Father's house? A spirit of self-righteousness will always cause you to isolate. And it will justify that isolation by the lack of everyone else's goodness. Well, you didn't do that right. Well, you didn't sing that on key. Do you remember when you first got saved? You didn't care what they were singing. But if you're not careful, you can become an expert. And you can begin to draw away and criticize and have a problem with and say, that was fine. I just wouldn't have done it that way. And you can isolate. And you know that you're moving into this spirit when you not only begin to move away from your brothers and sisters, but when you can't celebrate them. When you can't compliment. When you can't enjoy when you can't say, hey, that's good, and mean it deep in your heart, the, 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 the spirit of self-righteousness not just, not just moves away in isolation. It cannot celebrate those around it. Self-righteousness, let me put it this way, is stuffy. It's just stuffy. It's like the spirit of Scrooge. No one wants to be around a self-righteous person because it always has to be about self. It's just stuffy. Self-righteousness always looks inward, not outward. It's all consumed with self, not others. Self-righteousness always looks down on others, not up towards God. We see that happening in this painting on the return of the prodigal son by Rembrandt. You see the older brother in the far corner, and what is he doing but looking down, not just on his brother, but he's looking down on the father as well. He's criticizing not just the actions of sin, but the actions of forgiveness. It's too extravagant. It's not right. Come on, you can't break the rules for them. Come on, you shouldn't act that way. Do you know what they did? This son of yours? Do you know what he was involved with? He wasted your inheritance on prostitutes. He's trying to shame the father. Do you even know? how sick this person was, what is he doing? He's creating separation from himself 
and the other brother. No, there's not a lot of amens on this because this is what we do. And this is the, the trap I'm trying to expose, trying to move away the leaves and say, this is the trap. And the longer you serve Christ, the more likely you are to fall into this trap. This is the older brother. This is the one that serves. This is the one that knows better, does better. This is the one that didn't leave the house. This is the one that stayed with the father. And, and now his self-righteousness is providing all the reasons to withhold his heart. Self-righteousness will always give you justification for you to withhold your heart. You could even be near the house physically, but your heart won't let you join in the festivities. Think of it. The older brother stayed near the house, yet he didn't stay near the father. He heard the music and the, music and the dancing, but he couldn't join in. The scary thing that is shown with this older brother is that you can be lost and still around the house. All this is more subtle. It's easier sometimes to forgive the obvious sin, the screw-up that's got nothing. The love is extravagant, yes, but so the sin was extravagant. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to delve in deeper and look at the sin of pride, which leads to just as much separation. See, the, the older brother's sins were inward, not outward. But they led to the same thing, separation from the home, separation from the father. His sins were judgmentalism. His sins were comparison. His sin was entitlement. His sin was self-righteousness. It drew him away from the father. And it gave him reasons and justifications on why what he was doing was right even if no one else was in agreement with them. Even if everyone else was doing there, this is what I'm doing, and this is why it's right. I wonder if it would have been different if the older brother was the one to spot the younger brother on the road. I wonder if it would have been different if he was the one to say, there he is. Because sometimes we can celebrate as long as we're a part of the process receiving the celebration as well. You know, I got him saved. I brought him to the altar. I, 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 I prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer. Then they got healed. Didn't I, did, I not pray? did I not give you that verse? Did I not text you that verse? I'm okay if you get saved as long as I'm involved. I'm okay if you get blessed as long as I, I told, did I not say you are called and anointed? I said that. <laughs> It was like 12 months ago. I remember specifically, it was 64 degrees. It was really nice outside. <laughs> Self-righteousness is, is, is okay as long as you receive some of the adulation. And if you don't and you're not involved, it makes you withhold. It justifies your rejection. because, And you could justify even your, your withholding because other people around you have fallen short. Here, the older brother, he, he wasn't the one to find this young man. So because he wasn't part of the process, now he can say, well, you know what, though? Here's all the reasons why we shouldn't be celebrating. Do you not know what your son did? Let me tell you specifically. And he can lay out the rules and the regulations. He knows the law. He knows what's right. He didn't. But the, the problem is the rules and regulations, the law, the word of God, was given that you might get close to the Father. The problem is when we start using it against others, and we move away from our brothers and we move away from our fathers. 
Self-righteousness will amp you up on that. That's right. They did do that wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. You do know the whole, that you don't know the whole story. I know the whole story. And you move away. You move away from the family. You move away from your inheritance. Your self-righteousness moves you into isolation. But, you know, I, I think the truest part of the older brother's reaction to not go in is the fact that I think he just felt overlooked. You know, he's out in the field all day, he's working. He comes home, and all of a sudden the celebration is already going on. It's like that scene when the kid finally gets home from Christmas, and the family's like, just, they're already partying inside, and it's snowing, and it's a single tear. Am I making that up? Is that a movie? You know, like, like he, he feels like, like, I did all this, and, I, and you didn't even tell me? You didn't even involve me? I'll work, but I need an attaboy. I'll serve, but I need for you to see it. I'll serve, but I, but I, but I, want, I want to be a part of, of the celebration. I think the reality is he felt overlooked. He felt overlooked, and that's, that's a human emotion. And he was hurt. The problem is, please hear me, self-righteousness can almost always or usually gets in through the door of hurt. Because what it does is say, I was hurt. Instead of bringing that hurt to God, say, God, I was hurt. Why didn't you come get me? Why, why wouldn't you let me be a part of it? Instead of bringing that hurt to God to be healed, what self-righteousness will come in and say, you might be hurt, but they're, they're worse. They're more broken. They're more screwed up. They've got more issues. They were wrong. And what it does is it gives you a, a defense mechanism, a coping mechanism. And what it does is it hardens your heart. It shuts you down. You can see it. You can see it sometimes in people's eyes. You can see it on their faces. You can see it in the lack of emotions. You know what I even love about this painting? The older brother, if you can see, he's folding his hands in front of his chest. This is a defensive posture, saying, I'm not, I'm not in agreement. I'm not in agreement. Why? Because I felt overlooked. I felt hurt. I did that work. The pastor didn't even say thank you. Didn't even get an email. Stayed up all night, I cleaned the kitchen. I cleaned the kitchen. <laughs> Problem is, self-righteousness will make you stuffy if you're looking for validation yes. from everyone else. Yes. Wow. And if you don't receive the level of validation you deem right, the enemy can come in and can use that hurt to isolate you from the source of love and life. You know what's interesting about this story is that both sons end up outside of the house. Not just the screw-up, but the stubborn son as well. Both of them stay outside the house. Same as the prodigal son, we find the older brother distant and away with inward sins, judgmental, entitled, and he refuses to enter in to the joy of his father. It goes to show that even the sins that can grow around the Father can keep you away from the house of the Father. This is a sermon to those that serve. This is a sermon to those that know God. And this is my warning to you that your heart does not grow cold and isolated, but that you would come to the Father because the truth is the Father comes to you. How amazing is this? That not only does the father come to the younger brother, but he comes to the older brother as well. The Bible says his father came out 
and entreated him. You see a self-righteous son, but now you see a humble father. What an amazing example of God. God leaves the festivities, leaves the party, leaves the celebration, and he comes out to this stubborn, entitled, whiny brat of a kid, and he comes after him. Come on, if I was the father, I would have said, like, stay outside, dude. Whatever. We got the food in here, and it's getting cold. Come on, that would have been even our response. Like, of course. So you don't want to be in the house? Don't come in the house. Whatever. Whatever. But God's just not like us. He's so good. He's so good. He comes after this stubborn son. And, and more than that, the Bible says he entreats him. He invites him. He begs him, please come in the house. This, this is the gospel. That God doesn't just come for us when we screw up. God also comes for us when we're stubborn and self-centered and annoying. He also comes for us when we think we've earned our way, yet God hasn't recognized it. God still says, but you know what? I'm still going to come to you because this is who I am. The father leaves the house, comes to the son, and invites him inside. And, and here we have like a classic Thanksgiving scene, just chaos. The younger brother shows up, most likely hungover. The older brother won't come in. He disagrees with dad's politics. It's chaos. But can we zoom out for a moment from the story and look at who's telling the story and who he's telling it to? It's Jesus. He's the loving father that comes to us. He's the one that left the celebration of heaven and came out into the cold, outside of the house, to invite but he doesn't just invite the sinners. Don't, don't forget, there were sinners and tax collectors. Obviously, they need God. But who else was in that room? The Pharisees. The ones that knew better. The Christians, the servants, the older brothers. I mean, I know we love it when Jesus calls out the Pharisees and, like, brings out the whip. But here, here we see Jesus' kindness leading even them to repentance, saying, I'm here, I'm here for you, too. I know you did your best. I know you tried to get to me. I, I, knew you, I, know, I know you're frustrated, but I'm here for you too. I'm here not just for the sinners. I'm here for the isolated saints. And this word here means to call near. The, the purpose of God calling his people is that they would come close. The invitation is, will you come near to me again? I, I think the point is the Father is always the one that's reaching for relationship. Father's the, always the one that's reaching out. I think of the famous painting, the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo, where he, he, he shows the creation of, of man, the creation of Adam. And this, you know this famous painting I zoomed in on a little bit, but for obvious reasons. the wave of people getting it. It's funny. <laughs> but if you look, if you look on this side, you see the father's, the father's hand is outstretched. His muscles are tense. He's reaching. But if you look at the hand of Adam, it's unresponsive. It's unmoved. There's a couple different ways to interpret this painting. One is that, that Adam hasn't received the spark of life yet. But do you know God doesn't give the spark of life with a touch? He gives a spark of life with his breath. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
the touch of God is the thing that changes your life. So another interpretation, the one that I believe, is that this is how God works. That God is the one that reaches for Adam. Adam, where are you? But Adam is the one that's distant, that's drawn away, that's hiding under shame and guilt. And, and, And this Beautiful picture is a picture, I think, of, of the father with the older brother. That, that the father reaches out, but many times we are the ones that are unresponsive to the push and the reach and the love of God. My, my question to you today is, is, what is your response to when God reaches out? Do you draw back? Do you not care? Are you lazy or unresponsive in your approach? Or, or do you... Do you lean in? The reality is many times when God reaches in, we draw back because we're self-centered or we're focused on others or maybe we feel let down by God before and now, now God's reaching out again, but we, we feel like, but what about last time? And the older brother, the spirit of self-righteousness draws back. And now he begins to accuse Not only will he not receive the father's love, now he's got something to say. And he starts off his diatribe with the word look. Look. He doesn't address him as father. He doesn't address him personally. He says, look. You know it's going to be a bad conversation if someone starts it out with the word look. Father comes and says, please come in. And he says, look. That's a judgment word. That word draws a line. You know what I'm saying? Some of you heard that word yesterday, look. These many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave. That's the accusation. You never gave. Can we fact check that real quick together? Is that true? Did God never give? What about at the beginning of the story? The Bible says that the younger brother came to the father and asked for his inheritance and the father divided his property between them equally. That's not true. Right at the beginning of the story, the father gave to both the older and the younger brother. The reality is it's astonishing how quickly we can forget God's blessings. Isn't it true how amazing it is that we can forget that we shouldn't have anything to begin with? It's all God's stuff, that God is good, that he gave and he came to us, and it's all him all the way, all the time. It's God. But we're forgetful people, are we not? It's like the, the, the people of Israel get out of Egypt and instantly they're like, well, you know what, I think we should go back. I think we should go back to Egypt. You know, like this manna is all right, but, you know, we had it much better back there. And God's looking down like, are, are you, how forgetful are you? And it's true. We quickly forget God's overwhelming goodness to us. You know why we forget? Because we become familiar with it. We become familiar with God's blessings. And we just, we just integrate them into our life. And, and, and in fact, at some point, we think we're the reason. Like when we first got blessed, we're like, oh, thank you, God. It's all you. But after a while, we think, I, I, I worked for this. 
I obeyed your commands. I served you <laughs> these many years. You know, I, 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 I hustled. I grinded. I made it happen. I worked hard. I stayed up late. You're blessed. It was God's blessing. God chose to anoint you. God chose to come after you. God chose that you would be the son, the daughter. It was, it was God. But sometimes we become familiar. And when you become familiar with things, you disregard their importance. You don't even acknowledge. You forget. You forget what it's like to not have those things. You know, like so many of our problems really are first world problems. And, and if we were able to, to, to live in another country or certainly in another time, we would realize, oh, my goodness, what we have is amazing. What we have is astonishing. The older brother forgot his source. He forgot how undeserved everything he had was to begin with. And, and he was operating off a faulty equation. And the faulty equation goes like this. The equation is obey, serve, plus obey equals acquire. That's how he saw God. I will serve, plus I will obey, and then I will acquire. And I wonder how many times we think of God in the same way. I do believe God will bless, but that's not why we serve. I do believe God will give, but that's not why we obey. And 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 and. And it's kind of difficult, even as a preacher, to talk about God's overwhelming goodness and his blessings without saying we give because God will give more. That may be true, but it should not be the motivator. And, and I think even we have to be careful on the prosperity side of these things that, that prosperity doesn't become the reason that we serve. Because that's self. And that's self-righteousness. And that's self-centeredness. And that's self-focus. But the reality is we don't deserve any of it. And if God took all of it, he would still be good. I want to be like Job, that after losing it all, is able to say God, to God, even though he slay me, still I will trust in him. Still I will hope in him. The elder brother and the younger brother, they both had a distorted view of their father. They both had a wrong approach to their father. They saw their father transactionally instead of relationally. He served so that he could get. The older brother thought this way, what do I have to do for God to get from God? How long do I have to do it? How consistent do I have to be so that I can get from God, not understanding God chooses whom he chooses. He blesses how he blesses. And it's, it's a wrong approach to serve God for self-gain. The right approach is to say, Lord, I thank you. And if you never did another thing for me, you would have done far more than I ever could possibly deserve. And I love you and I'm thankful. So make my heart close to you again. Amen. So I want to warn you, church, whenever you serve God to get, you'll end up growing bitter. Because God's God. 
He's not going to bless us in our way, in our timing, in our patterns, in our hope. God's going to bless how he blesses. He's going to choose how he chooses. But if we try and fashion God in our image, we're always going to become bitter. And when that bitterness grows, it leads to anger. It leads to disgust. And most of all, it leads to distance. I preached one time on the parable of the prodigal son when I was a young man at a youth camp. There wasn't a lot of people there, five, six, seven, most of them my friends. There was, a, there was an old timer in the back, and he was doing sound at this ancient camp. And at the end of the sermon, he came up to me and said, young man, that was a good sermon that you gave about the prodigal son. He said, when I was younger, I saw myself in that story. He said, but as I get older, and as I serve God for a longer period of time, he said, I don't see myself in the story of the younger son, more and more I see myself in the story of the older brother. He said, you have to be careful the longer you serve to not become the bitter older brother. And it stuck with me all these years. And as I grow older in the faith, I realize more and more what he was saying. How do we avoid becoming the older brother? How do we guard against a spirit of entitled self-righteousness? I think it's very simple. I'm not going to give you 10 points or a long monologue. I think there's a very simple answer, a very simple practice that can help us guard against becoming like the older brother. It's simply this, stay thankful. It's appropriate for this weekend. Stay thankful. It's very difficult to be thankful and self-righteous. It's very difficult to be grateful and also be full of yourself. But when you begin to practice this attitude, when you integrate it in your thinking, thankfulness becomes the antidote to self-righteousness. Thankfulness opens the way for the Spirit of God, and it closes the door to the spirit of self. You know, you enter his gates with what? Come on, thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. Thankfulness opens the gate to God. So I want to I implore you today, if you are caught in a current of self-pity, swim towards the shores of gratitude. Come close to the place of God. Be purposeful in your profession. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for my family, my marriage, my church. I mean, think about all of the things that the older brother had to be thankful for. I mean, we don't know him that well. It's only like a couple paragraphs. But we know that he had he had reason to be thankful that he was living. He was alive. He had breath. He woke up that morning. He, 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 had, he had an inheritance from his father. You know how many people go their whole lives with no inheritance? That he was well fed in a time when many people would have been starving. He had more than enough. He was serving in the field, had a steady job, and he was serving with other people around him that were also serving. He had a community. I mean, this older brother had every reason to be thankful. And he didn't just have a father. He had a loving father. He had a father that came after him. And 
perfect father. I say this to say, the way you can guard against becoming like the older brother, that spirit of self-righteousness, is to work purposeful professions of thanks into your everyday. You know, I've even been thinking about, you know how you would give thanks when you have family meals? Many times we don't even have family meals anymore, but I do think that's a pretty important uh, ritual. But, but even giving thanks, I never kind of got it. I'd always be like, say la, let's go. <laughs> but I'm even beginning to understand that as I get older. To, to teach the young ones that not everybody has, has this kind of blessing. Not everybody has this food. That, no, no, we are thankful every single time. Because one thing could go wrong. There could be one breakdown. Oh, there's massive shortages. What do we do? I want to be thankful before I hit catastrophe. I want to build it into my profession. I'm going to close in a moment. I'm going to close in a moment. But even secular society has figured out the power of gratitude. They have disconnected it from its source, from the word. But they will talk about professing thanks in the morning and in the evening. Because it keeps your mind right. Keeps your spirit right. Keeps you humble and grateful and healthy. But I want you to know, it doesn't just come from mantras or meditation. It comes from the word of God. It comes from the character of God. And Jesus is showing us that the way we can avoid becoming the bitter older brother stuck outside, distant from God's love, consumed with self, is to just thank the Lord for his goodness. Personally, I gotta say, I feel like I've gotten a revelation of this over the past year and a half, and I'm trying to cultivate this in my life. You know, I always just assumed we go to church, but it wasn't until we were missing church that I began to be thankful for church. And every single Sunday when we were going to the field or coming in here for Christmas last year, I would say, thank you, God, we get to go to church. I don't want to become familiar with that blessing and assume it. I want to stay in that space every Sunday. Thank you, God, that there will be music and dancing and my brothers and sisters, that your house will be established that my kids can come and be blessed. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my home. Thank you, God, for my marriage. Thank you, God, for my children. It's amazing how we don't thank God for our children's health until they get sick. And then all of a sudden, call the elders, bring out the oil. What, you just have canola? Bring out the canola oil. (laughs) Open the Bible, light some candles. Does anyone have a Mary statue? The crazy things you will do just so that your child can become healthy. And then when they become healthy, you're like, oh, no, no, obviously it makes sense. No, no big deal. No one freaked out. I'm thankful that he heals. But I'm also thankful that he maintains our health. Work it into your profession because it will keep your heart close to the source. Close to the father. What kept the young man from the house? His self-centeredness and his self-righteousness. But what will bring you into the house? A thankfulness. Thanksgiving opens the doors. Praise makes the way into the the holy of holies, into the temple of God. That's where I want to be. Come on, that's where you want to be. Amen. I'm going to read this verse and we're going to end now. I know I preached long, 
but you're the real ones, so I'm going longer today. <laughs> I'm complimenting you so I get more time. All right, all right, one final verse. I want to show you the Father's promise. I want to show you the Father's promise. It says this. He says, son, you know, even though he wouldn't acknowledge his father, the father always acknowledges the son. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. What an incredible promise. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, this story ends right there. It ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with a choice. Will you go home with thankfulness or will you stay outside in self-righteousness? The longer we serve, the longer we attend, the longer we are a part of the Father's family. I pray that that does not make us colder. It doesn't make our heart harder. It doesn't make us more distant, but I pray it makes us more thankful. That we can tell testimonies of his goodness. That every Sunday, every day of the week, we draw near to the Father and to the Father's house. Thankfulness is the antidote to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness seeks to separate, but the Father comes to draw us near. Come on, let's thank God that he came after us. Let's thank God that he so loved us. Amen. And today I ask you to choose, and every day I ask you to choose to not stay outside the Father's love, but to enter into the warmth of his fellowship. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.